Good morning. Good to see you this morning. I am, if I can be bold enough to, um, I'm not going to be bold enough to make you feel, the intention is not to make you feel guilty enough so that you come to Stormont today. But what I do want to say is that I, uh, I've become so aware over the last couple of years in, in the, in the our political climate that, uh, that my default is, uh, not just not just in the political world, but so often my default is to is to complain, is to criticize, and I'm sure I'm not the only one in this room saying they are not doing their jobs. But you know what? The Holy Spirit, I've just felt the check of the Holy Spirit increasingly over the last number of months, as I remind myself of what uh, of what Paul says in in. First Timothy chapter two, isn't it that uh, that we would pray for those that have been placed in charge? We pray for our leaders and our government. And so the challenge for me is, and and it's uh, part of my part of the reason why I want to be there today is I don't want to complain about people not doing their job if I'm not doing mine. And uh, and so I'm really that's just been a check in my spirit every time I find myself doing what it's really easy to do, to complain and criticize, but people not doing their job, they've just felt the Holy Spirit say, what about yours? And, um, and so whether you make it to Stormont today or not, that's not, a, that's not a guilt trip for anybody, but it is to challenge you on our, on our prayerful response to those that uh, are there. And I think if you're, I'm not saying that we should, but if you want to have any right to complain, well then make sure you're doing your job first before you start complaining and criticizing others. That feels incredibly bold of me. I feel awful for doing that, but it's like it's it's right. Like it's it's there. It's the challenge for us as followers of Jesus. And uh, so yeah. Um, last week we we spoke about we we spoke about worship. We're still just exploring this idea together of what does it look like to to go into the deep? What does it look like to follow that invitation that Jesus has uh, initially he made to Peter in Luke chapter 5, but we have sensed that it was the invitation that he was making to each one of us. Uh, Peter, it's time to put out into the deep. Neil, it's time to push out a little deeper, to go a little deeper. And whether that's been in my, my prayer life, it's been in my worship experience, it's been in my relationships with one another, that has that's what I felt the invitation has been. It's time to put out into deep, and so that's where we've been the last months. And uh, last week, talk worship, and we summarized we summarized worship. I think we all come with our different understandings of what worship is, but we wanted to suggest that worship. Before it's singing, before it's praying, before it's any of those things, it's surrender. It, it's worship. It's submission. Worship is surrender. Worship is submission. The truth is that we can sing our songs and pray our best prayers and not worship. It's possible to do that because worship is to surrender. Worship is to submit. And actually, that the, where we went last week was just looking at the, the that Old Testament image of the building of the altar. The place of worship was was whenever the people built the altar and laid their sacrifices uh, before the Lord as their as their reasonable act of worship. 
And Jesus, and Jesus, the language Jesus uses over and over in the Gospels is follows this idea of worship. Worship the Lord, your God, and him only will you serve. And Jesus follows this right through, uh, right through the, the gospel stories. And I suppose there are moments where we, we see it and it's, and it's black and white when he says along the lines, if you want to find life, it's in laying it down. If you want to, if you want to find life, if you want to know life, then it's in giving yourself away. And I've been wrestling with that. I found myself wrestling with that this morning. The times that, the times where I'm, I don't feel like I'm walking in the ways and the life that Jesus has called me to walk, I find myself going to these, going to these, these, uh, these checkpoints almost that Jesus, that Jesus lays out for us throughout the gospel. Why is it that I'm not finding life? It's because I'm not worshiping. It's because I'm not laying, laying everything down. It's because I'm not at that place of surrender and that place of submission. And Jesus reminds us every time, over and over again through the Gospels, if you want to find life, it's going to be, it's going to be found in giving yourself away. It's going to be found in laying your life down. And I'm challenged with that. I'm challenged with that in this season of life. I'm challenging with it in my relationships with people in this room. I'm challenged by it in my relationship with the community, with my relationship with this nation. What, what is it that I am giving for one another? What is it I am giving away for the sake of our community and for the sake of our nation that is costly? That is costly. And, and, uh, and, and those are questions that I'm asking myself. Those are challenges that I feel like that I see from from the Old Testament stories right through to right through to the climax in Jesus. You want to find life, it's in laying it down. Worship him. Worship him is to surrender, it's to submit. And it's so difficult. It really is difficult, isn't it? It's really difficult to lay it down. It's really difficult to give yourself away. It hurts. There is a there is a there's a cost, there is a pain to giving yourself away. It's, there's a cost, there's a hurt. It hurts to give away your time. It hurts to give away your money. It's a cost. And, and it's, so it's really difficult. So we're united by that. That's what, that's what we said a few weeks back when it comes to prayer. The struggle's real. It unites us all. And, 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 that's the, and as, we think of, as we think of surrender, as we think of this life, this lifestyle of submission, it's really difficult. No point in saying that it's not, but it unites us all. That's what unites us all here today. It's... It's really difficult, and as we looked at the as we looked at the story of in First Kings chapter eighteen, uh, we seen that the the altar of the Lord was in disrepair. The altar of the Lord was in disrepair, and maybe that's the feeling. Maybe there's some of us in the room that just felt that they felt the, the the weight of that sort of language. Maybe as we think of what it is to worship. Maybe as we think of this idea of building an, building an altar, that Old Testament picture, the Old Testament image of worship, maybe, we're, maybe we just identified with that season of, that, the, that the people of God were in. There were, the altar of the Lord was in disrepair. It was in ruins. And I just continue to pray. It continues to be the heart, my, the longing of my heart that you, would, that you would find a way to begin to rebuild the altar of the Lord that we would rebuild the altar of the Lord. And, and I, continue to, I continue to find myself going back to that story this week in 1 Kings 18. And, and, uh, 
where Elijah, he was, the, the truth was he was intimidated by the enemy. Like he was, it was almost like he was on his own. He felt like he was on his own. That's the complaint that he makes to the Lord a few, uh, like a few days later. God, am I the only one left? I'm on my own and there's these there's 450 plus uh, people op- opposing him, against him. There's an intimidation of the enemy that has come against, uh, that has come against Elijah. And again, maybe that's the case for some of us in the room. There's an intimidation of the enemy. And, our, and, and, and often, our, what we want to do, our temptation is to fight back. Our temptation is to go into battle with the enemy. It's to go after justice. It's to go after vengeance. And so we fight back against the enemy. But what I what I'm keep going back to this story, why I keep going back to the story of Elijah, and forgive me for repeating some of this. I know we touched on it last week. But I just feel, again, the importance. But first... Elijah rebuilt the altar of the Lord. In spite of the intimidation of the enemy and, and, and in spite, I'm sure, of his, of his temptation to, to, to go toe-to-toe to fight back, first of all, he rebuilt the altar of the Lord. First of all, he began to worship. He began to repair the altar. And, and for me, it's just become significant because it was on that rebuilt altar that the fire of the Lord fell. And we sang that was our first song that we sang today. God, let your fire fall down. It's been a prayer that, and I think it's a prayer that we will pray again today as we go up the gates of storming. For myself, as I've been with other leaders over the last week or so, that's been the, that's been the cry of our heart. God, let your fire fall. Because we go back to the stories of, of the, the Moravians who prayed for 100 years, 24 hours, night and day. 100 years, 24 hours, night and day, and, and then we, we, we have story after story of revival, story after story of renewal. But all of that only comes, it, it is only preceded by a movement of prayer, by a people who will pray, by a people who will sacrifice, who will surrender, who will submit. Like these were 24 men and women who just on a, on a rotation basis took an hour every day and it just kept going. And they... Uh, and that, that, and that was the prayer of their heart. That was the experience that they began to, they began to feel, that the fire of the Lord fell. Years and years of prayer, and then the fire of the Lord fell. They rebuilt the altar of the Lord. It was in disrepair, it was in ruins, but they rebuilt the altar of the Lord. And it was on the rebuilt altar that the fire of the Lord fell on the enemies. Those that intimidate, those that came face to face, were put to shame the first the altar of the Lord was rebuilt. And it was on the rebuilt altar that the fire of the Lord fell. And the enemies were put to shame. And just before we move away from this, there's one story that I wanna that I want to finish us finish with uh, this morning. But I can't help but go uh, uh, can't help but go back to this building of the altar because we, we talked about uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Gideon and then uh, the, the rebuilding of the altar in First Kings 18. But there's one altar that was built that, that uh, again, I was found myself just, again, back in, looking at it again over and over during the week. And it was Genesis chapter 22, the famous story of, of, of Abraham being told to take Isaac, take your son, your only son. And, and there's part of me still, like even, even repeating it again this morning, there's part of me still wrestles with that story. But... But, but the Lord came and, and said, Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac. 
and get ready, get the fire and the wood and make your way up the mountain and uh, to sacrifice, to, to, to surrender, to, to lay your son on the altar. And in Genesis chapter 22, verse 10, we're told about the, the altar that Abraham built. Abraham built the altar. But it was a few verses, it was the, it was the few verses before that that caught my attention. And in Genesis 22, verse 7, this is what Isaac said. And I think there's something huge in this question that Isaac asked. Isaac turned to his dad and said, Dad, we've got the fire and we've got the wood. Where is the sacrifice? Where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And it's and something about that question I really feel. That we've got the fire, we've got the wood, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And that's a question that I've, again, I've asked myself. God, everything, everything's in place. We've got, we've got the instruments and we've got the incredible singers and the wonderful musicians. Everything's in place, but where is the sacrifice? It feels like we've, all the things externally, we've got them all right, we've got them all in place, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? Everything's in place, but where is the sacrifice? And it just feels like a key question. Because last week we, we touched briefly on Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, give yourself, give your, give your whole selves, give your bodies as a, levy, a living sacrifice. This is, the truly, this is truly the way to worship. And as, and as I just think of that, as I think of that verse, this has become a key question for me. I've got my I've got my devotionals. I've got my books which I love. I've got the word which I love. I've got we've got the songs which I love. Everything's in place. We've got the fire and we've got the wood, but where is the sacrifice? And uh, that's why I just want to and, and I'm aware I'm just using a different story to tell to, to beat the same drum, but but where is the sacrifice? I wanna know what it looks like to get to find life. And if I'm going to take Jesus seriously, it's in giving myself away. It's in laying myself down. It's in giving myself as a living sacrifice. And as I continue to see what worship looks like through, through the whole narrative of our Bibles, how can there be worship without surrender? How can there be worship without laying everything down? And I, I love the... I think one of the most incredible characters in history of the last well, couple of hundred years has been William Booth. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. And let's know what William Booth said when, when sort of speaking around this idea of worship and speaking around this idea of surrender and sacrifice. He said, I will tell you the secret. God has had all that there was of him. This is the secret. According to William Booth, God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I. Men, and this is why I relate to William Booth. There have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision of all Jesus Christ could do with them, in that day I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. 
when he's seen the poor of London who caught a vision of all Jesus Christ could do with them. On that day, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth that there was. And if there is anything of any power in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has had all the adoration of my heart. He has had all the power of my will, and he has had all the influence of my life. Incredible. And so I read a quote like that from William Booth. I see his heart for his community. I see his heart for his city. And I'm back to that question that we posed last Sunday. Are you content with just getting through? Are you going after breakthrough? Are you content with just getting through? Or are you going after breakthrough? And to go to truly pursue breakthrough, it is being able to, to, to find that same secret that William Booth experienced that God has had all of me. And so the story that I want to look at for the last few minutes this morning is in Second uh, Samuel, Second Samuel chapter five, and uh, it's sort of been an unpleasant time in in the history of the people of God. Saul had been anointed, but Saul has has not lived the life that he was intended to live. I don't know if there's a, a better way of putting that. But anyway, God, Saul had been appointed as king. And then David, uh, the story of David being appointed as king. We don't, we don't have time to go into the whole story, but, but David uh, became king over Judah, became king over the two tribes in Second Samuel chapter 2. And then we have this, this, this really ugly, these ugly scenes in Second Samuel 2 and 3 where there's the war that takes place between the houses of David and Saul. And then we get to the place in 2 Samuel chapter, chapter 5 where David becomes king over all Israel. And that's what starts out this chapter. All the tribes came to David at Hebron and said, we're your own flesh and blood. In the past, Saul was king over us, but you were the one that led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and you shall become their ruler so David is uh, David is king over Israel he's king over Judah and let me just read these few verses these are the few verses that I want us uh, just to spend a f- these last few minutes on it's from uh, 17 verse 17 to 25 the Philistines had heard that David had been anointed king over Israel and they went up in full force to search for him But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? And the Lord answered, Go, for I will surely hand the Philistines over to you. So David went to Belperazim, and there he defeated them. He said, As waters break out, so the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal Perazim. The Philistines uh, abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. And once more, the Philistines came and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, and he answered, Do not go straight up, but circle round behind them and attack them in front of the balsam trees. And as soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, move quickly. Because that will mean that the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David 
did as the Lord commanded. And he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel and they went up in full force to search for him. And as I found myself in that story, and I know I, I know it doesn't, I don't know how long ago it was, I know I've been in this chapter before in the last number of months. But I'm counting on the fact that maybe most of you have forgotten. Philistines had heard, and, and, and here again as I read this, I was just reminded, I don't know if, how much parallel there is between this story and one in 1 Kings 18, but here is the enemy intimidating again. Here is the intimidation of the enemy in the same way that the enemy were opposing, stood toe-to-toe with Elijah, intimidating him. Here we have the same thing again. The man of God, David, the anointed one, chosen one, faced with the uh, with the enemy's full force out to find him. And so like Elijah, he was intimidated by the enemy. But what I love about what David did, he didn't, he didn't immediately fight back. He didn't immediately go looking for, for, uh, for justice, for vengeance, for whatever, whatever language you want to use. But he, first of all, he went to the stronghold. For me, there's, I think there's some parallels. I'm not, I'm not sure. There's better theologians in the room than me that could uh, dispute whether there's whether I'm, I'm, I'm stretching here. But in the same way that, in the same way that the intimidation of the enemy came, first of all, Elijah rebuilt the altar. He went to the place of worship. I think that's what David does as well. David, when the intimidation of the enemy came, he went to the stronghold. And just as I, th- I consider this word stronghold, if you were to go to the psalmist, you will see the psalms, especially the psalms of David, the psalms that he has penned over and over again. He he uses this language. In psalm, psalm, uh, psalm 144, I think Psalm 18, uh, Psalm 33 and Psalm 32. Uh, but over and over, there's a few places, but over and over he uses this language, God, you're my stronghold. You're my refuge, you're my safe place. It's, it's here that I run to and remind myself of who you are. Remind myself of, of the God that you have, have revealed yourself to be. That's, that's the cry we see in the Psalms that, that, that David has penned. And some of those Psalms are during this, this period of time where he is truly experiencing this the Lord being his safe place, the place that he goes to um, to worship, the place that he goes to to declare who God is, the place that he goes to to hear from him once again. And so he goes to the stronghold. And so I, I feel like that's my part of my encouragement to you today. In, in, the, the intimidation of the enemy, the, the trial that is, that is opposing you, the situations that you find yourself in, my encouragement once again is that you would go to your stronghold, you would go to the place of safety, you would go to the place of worship and declare once again who he is and hear from him again. And when David went to the stronghold, he he inquired of the Lord, God, what am I going to do? What is it that you want me to do? Shall I go? Shall I go and take them on? What's the right thing to do? What's the right What's the right tactic here? What's the right strategy? God, I need you. 
I need to hear from you. And God speaks. And I love what, just because of the question that we've been asking. I promise I didn't go looking for this. The temptation sometimes is to put breakthrough into your concordance and go and find the right verse. Because I found myself in this chapter, I realized that that what what went on, that the Lord answered him and David went and he defeated them. And so the place was called Baal Perazim, meaning the Lord who burst forth. Or to fit it in a bit more nicely, the Lord who breaks through. The Lord who bursts forth or the Lord who breaks through. That's what we're after. And I think there's something in the stories of, of the fathers of old that, that, that give us an indication of, of how we experience this breakthrough, of how we experience these moments of the Lord bursting forth. And it's in getting to the place of the stronghold. It's in going to the stronghold and getting to the place of refuge and safety, declaring who he is. And over and over again, you'll see in the Psalms, like what he declares God to be and what he declares God to be doing, it it almost goes contrary to what his circumstances are looking like in that moment. But he declares who God is and he's here in that place to hear from him once again. And it's in those moments that the Lord breaks through that the Lord bursts forth. And I think we need more time. We would need more time to look at this, but, but just to make note of it, because I think it's noteworthy that in verse 22, the enemy comes again. The enemy comes again, and David inquired of the Lord. And I know that there's, 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 there's things that have worked in the past, and I, and I hope you know I am so grateful for what God has done so grateful for the sh- for the the shoulders that we stand on people in this room that have that have fought battles that have went toe to toe with the enemy and, be- and and worshiped and defeated him and and we get we get the we get the freedom that my generation gets to walk in the freedom that generations before have paid a price for but I, as I go to this story I realize that for whenever the en- whenever the enemy comes again when there's this second wave of attack that are, that actually required responding with a different strategy. It required a, respo- a different response. And there's times that we, we get stuck in the thinking it has to be the same methods, it has to be the same things, it has to be the same ways, it has to be the way that it was done before. But, but here we see the significance, the importance of going back to the stronghold, going back to the place of worship, declaring who he is and hearing from him again. And part of me feels that that's the place that we're in at the minute, as we consider what's going on in our world, as we consider what's going on in our nation, that there, there's, a, there's a requirement for a new strategy. There's, it requires a responding with a different strategy. But we need to wait. We need to wait. And that's why these times of prayer for us, that's why the times of prayer up in the living room, these 24 hours, feel like they're becoming really important because we need to hear. We need to wait and hear a different sound. And that's what David did. I think the temptation would have been, well, God, this is what you told me before. This is how we defeated before. This is how we won before. And so I'll just go and do that again. But actually it required him going back to the place of worship. It required him going back to that place so that he could hear again. And he needed to wait. And he wasn't to go straight up this time. He had to wait for the sound of marching in the top of the trees. He had to wait. For a new sound. He had to wait 
hear a different sound. And part, and, and part of me feels like possibly that's going off on a, on a tangent in some ways. Maybe not. That's where we, I think we find ourselves today. I think there's something about this story that felt like it's just been alive over the last few days. As I consider, I th- it applies just to my own life, you know. I think there's times where I think, I go to the, I go to the devotionals, I go to the books, I go to the, the prayers that are prayed before, but actually it feels like for my own personal journey with Jesus, it requires to wait. It requires to, to worship and to hear a different sound, to respond with a different strategy. And I think that's maybe the case for our church. I think that's maybe the case for for our nation as well. But I'm praying and longing for a real Parazim moment for the church. I'm longing for it for you individually. We have a sense of the Lord bursting forth. The Lord breaks through. And so in light of that, as the guys come back to, to lead us in worship, will you stand? Can we stand and let me just pray? So Father, the so often we want the the three step formula. We're so desperate at times for a formula to fix us, to fix our circumstance, and, and so often we want it to be easy. So often we want it to be quick. Gotta thank you for those moments in Scripture where we where we see you breaking through. We're just longing to experience that again as we would take heed of the patterns we see in Scripture, as we take heed of the, of the lives that we see throughout history. We see ones who will fully lay down their lives, who will fully abandon their own ambitions and fully abandon their own agendas, get to the stronghold and say, God, what is it? that you're saying? What is it that you want me to do? And as we go to that place, I just pray, Father, that there would be uh, the, the circumstances that some of us find ourselves in. We just, I just pray that there would be an experience of the Lord bursting forth. There would be an experience of the Lord breaking through. As you do that, God, we, we, get, to, we get to walk in the spacious place that you, uh, that you have for us to walk into. So God, would you teach us again how to pray? Would you teach us how to worship? Would you teach us how to wait? And we thank you for who you are. And no matter where we're from, no matter what our experience, no matter where where we've been or what we've done, God, we'd be able to be like this, like King David in the Psalms, declaring who you are. As we continue to declare who you are, we would hear from you again. Amen.